Hope that you all had a good Thanksgiving with your families, your friends. Going to run through a couple of announcements and then we'll get into our study for today. Want to just give a heads up in the month of December, we usually have a mega Christmas potluck. We're planning that for December 19th. So there'll be no potluck the first Sunday, next Sunday. Uh, just regular fellowship time, but no potluck meal next Sunday. We'll send out an email later this week to remind you. If you bring something, I'm sure we'll eat it, but we're not planning for a potluck next Sunday. Mega potluck, December 19th, the church will provide the ham. And uh, we'll do a sign-up next week. We were going to do it this week, but we forgot to do it. Uh, a sign-up that we can have, make sure that we have side dishes, desserts, and everything kind of equaled out there, that we'll have a good meal together. Coming up December 19th, we've got some time on that. Also, uh, I mentioned this last week, kind of a oddity for this church. It has a lot to do with me, but uh, and how I was raised, I guess, but we have no Christmas Eve, no Christmas Day service unless they land on a Sunday and our big push will be to present Christmas messages through the month of December. And then um, on December 22nd, which is that Wednesday before Christmas, we'll have a service together. We'll sing worship. We'll have candlelight uh, singing of Silent Night, kind of the traditional things. But we'll do it before Christmas. I'm kind of big about family spending time together for Christmas Day and uh, church, I know that we come together and worship all throughout the year. So this is an opportunity for us to take that extra time, spend with the family. We also around here kind of lay low between Christmas and New Year. So we have no midweek service during that week. And the office technically, it never closes, but we kind of take a step back between December 27th and January 1st this year. And uh, ladies, the Elk Grove Women's uh, Christmas Celebration, I was trying to figure out what they called it, that's coming up on December 12th. They do have a registration due by today. If you'd like to attend that, that information is there in our bulletin, but you can also look up Calvary Chapel Elk Grove to find out more information about that. This coming Wednesday, we're looking at Genesis chapters 48 and 49. We're wrapping up two books of the Bible here toward the end of the year, as we're only one more chapter to do in Genesis after this week's teaching. And so I'm planning on doing uh, that one more chapter, do the Genesis 50, and then a review of the book of Genesis to close out our study in the book of Genesis. And then we're closing out. The book of Revelation, uh, not today, but next week. And, you know, it talks about the Lord coming again. So I think this is a good Christmas lead-in with the Lord's second coming before we look at his first coming. Today we're looking at Revelation chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to them. If you have your Bibles, your phones, whatever you need to use. Revelation chapter 21. I want to go ahead and open us in prayer and ask God to not only bless the teaching of his word, but also 
the gifts and the offerings that are presented here at this church uh, throughout the year. The Lord has blessed us in the last couple of years more so than we've seen in times past. And it has been a great blessing. It's allowed us to do things that we were unable to do in the past. And so I was just thinking about it this morning. You know, January is kind of a big month for the radio station. A lot of payments due with uh, royalty fees and stuff. And so we have some higher costs coming in, just cost of doing church in the 21st century. So we are so thankful for the support that those either through listening to the radio, uh, watching us online here at the church, your support of this fellowship has meant so much to us. And we want to ask God to bless the gifts that continue to come to this place. So, Father, we thank you for this day you've given us, a day to worship you, to look into your word, to lift up our voices in song and in praise. Lord, to begin the reflection of the Christmas season, singing a couple of Christmas songs here at the end of November. But, Lord, we thank you that You came according to prophecy the first time. You came and paid the price of our sin that we might not only be forgiven, but be part of the kingdom of heaven and part of, Lord, the glories that you have in store for your church at your second coming. We pray, Father, that you would be with us as we read about some of these glories and the expectation that we can have of future things than the prophecy that you gave to the Apostle John here in the book of Revelation as we look at that today. We also, Lord, thank you for the gifts and the offerings given to this place. We thank you, Father, that since 1992, you've allowed this church to be established in this area and allowed us to continue to minister to those in our area, but even beyond the area now with the technology that we have. And Father, we pray for that technology. Already hearing today that we've had a few issues, we pray, Father, that you would uh, be with the technology for those who are trying to watch us being streamed online. Bless it, we pray. So we thank you for this day, and we ask, Lord, that you would be with us as we look into your word. In the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are looking at Revelation chapter 21. And in the book of Revelation, John faithfully recorded the events that were shown him and are still part of the future of this world. And while we cannot say the exact timing of these things, how far in the future will some of these things take place that John is writing us about, We do know, and we'll see this next week in Revelation 22, verse 20, we'll see this next week, that the cry of the church is to be come. Come, as it tells us, Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. So we may not know the timing of the events that are laid out for us here in the book of Revelation. The prayer of the church is to be praying that the Lord would come and that his coming would be very soon. In our text today, 
Here in Revelation 21, John records the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, which takes place at the end of Jesus' millennial reign upon the earth and the passing of the great white throne judgment. We've studied these over the last few chapters. This means before the coming of the new heaven and new earth, there'll be at least 1,007 years remaining for this present earth that we find ourselves on. The Bible teaches that the world will undergo seven years of tribulation followed by the millennial reign of Christ, which then is followed by the great white throne judgment of the Lord. And Satan and those who follow him, whether human or angelic, those demons that follow him, they'll be cast into the lake of fire, a judgment that was intended for Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet, but also those demonic forces that follow him and all humans who reject Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. Once those things are accomplished, it brings us here to Revelation 21, where I titled this passage, All Things New. And we are going to see in these verses a new heaven and a new earth, the new Jerusalem, and the glory of holy Jerusalem. So I want to give you just one typo that I discovered this morning. You've probably already seen it in the notes that I have given you. Uh, the first point, second subpoint, God new dwelling. It's not God, but God's new dwelling. I didn't want to reprint them all. I could have done that, but uh, I'm saving paper and you have a pencil or pen handy. You can correct it. I already did in my notes, but giving you a heads up. Sometimes you just read over those things pretty fast and you read it wrong and say it right. And that's always often been my problem. Well, in verses one through eight, we have presented to us here by John a revelation that was given to him of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, today, scientists, politicians, uh, the news media, many others are warning of global warming. I mean, climate change. It's interesting because in the 1970s, they were really talking about global cooling at that time and talking about the dangers of global cooling in an ice age that's coming. And then they began talking about global warming and then things started cooling down. And so it's like we have to have cooling, warming, climate change. We have to come up with something that fits the narrative, no matter if it's hot or cold, it's all, you know, it's just climate change. Also, in 2014, a senior UN official stated generating three centimeters of topsoil takes 1,000 years. If the current rates of degradation continues, the world's topsoil will be gone in 60 years. This has some panicking that we're going to run out of topsoil, won't be able to grow our crops. And so we have the left and global warming, climate change, the Green New Deal. Yet we also have the Word of God. Now God promised Noah in Genesis 8.22, and I have to tell you that since God made that promise to Noah, he's kept it all the way up to this day. This is what the Lord said to Noah. He said, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, 
and day and night shall not cease. So you have what the mankind is saying, trying to figure out what's going to happen with the future of the earth, but we also have what the Word of God says. If man's calculations are right, we have only 60 harvests left. That was written in 2014. So we've already lost uh, seven of those. Then all it means is Jesus is coming is very soon. But even when the Lord comes, when he comes for his church, he still is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And so it means that there's a number of harvests left upon this earth. The word of God tells us, though, that the earth will change. It will ultimately come to an end. We read in Psalm 102, 25 through 28. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them and they shall be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. So even the psalmist declared this earth will one day come to a close, but God remains. He's eternal. And then they go on to say, and even the children of your servants will continue. They had an eternal perspective. They, in the Old Testament, look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And here we find in the last book of the New Testament, John writing about a new heaven and a new earth. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Even Isaiah wrote about God's revelation of in Isaiah's writing, the new heavens, plural, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. He covered these all. In Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19, the Lord speaking. And here, I want you to notice that in the Old Testament, when God talks about create, I'm going to create, in Isaiah 65, 17, in verse 18, he uses the word create twice. It's the Hebrew word bara. It means to create something out of nothing. And so it's not going to be a, a refreshing of this current place. But John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19. For behold, I create, I bara something out of nothing. I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people as joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, the joy of my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. That which Isaiah prophesied about John, we find will agree. No more tears, no more sadness, no more crying. As God from the Old to New Testament talks about this coming new heaven and new earth. 
Peter agreed with the destruction of this current place. He said in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the Lord, the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So nowhere in the Bible does it talk about just an annihilation of humankind. In fact, the Bible talks about judgment coming and those who are in faith in Jesus Christ will go to be with him in this new heaven and new earth and those who do not believe will go to a place of judgment. But nowhere does it talk about annihilation. Now, we notice there's some difference about the new heaven and new earth. John noticed immediately there's no sea. Now, this will be a bummer for the surfers, the boaters, the beach dwellers. But this new earth will not function as the old. It's really telling us something. Today, the ocean plays a significant part since the creation of the world. And looking from, where did I get this, National Geographic, I quote, covering 72% of the earth, supplying half its oxygen, the ocean is our planet's life support system. With every breath we breathe, every drop we drink, we're connected to the ocean. Our planet depends on the vitality of the ocean to support and sustain it. But here we find in the new heaven and the new earth that there is no ocean. And here, although... This is the way that God has designed this earth to be, that the ocean is so important to the biosphere, the geosphere, the atmosphere, the hydrosphere of this earth, so important to us today. National Geographic got it wrong because the Word of God tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the light of this earth, that in Him we have life, that we are dependent upon Jesus and we live upon the planet that he has placed us on. But here, the new world will be different. God says in Revelation 21.5, I will make all things new. The new heaven and new earth will be more like a return to the Garden of Eden. But it will be different as we read for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.8. It tells us that they walked with God in the cool of the evening. Here we learn that God dwells with us, God with us. So how beautiful at Christmas we celebrate God with us, Emmanuel, and at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the new heaven and new earth, again, it's God with us. In verse 3, John, reading in Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. As we know, God once dwelt with humanity. As it tells us in John 1.14, the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God once dwelt with humanity in the form of the man, Jesus Christ. At his first coming, Jesus offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins that he might redeem us back to the Father. But now, here in Revelation 21, we learn that God himself will dwell with whom the Lord has redeemed. Those whom Christ has redeemed, God will dwell with us one day. It's an Old Testament prophecy as well. Ezekiel 37, 26 and 27 tells us, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And again, we've already read from Isaiah 65, where it says the Lord our God will dwell with us. We find in verse 4 that there's some no mores that are going to take place in this new heaven and new earth. As it says in verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Of the seven things that came upon humanity as a result of the fall, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, when God is laying out the curse and he curses Satan and he speaks to Eve, he speaks to Adam. To Adam, he never cursed Adam. He just said, cursed is the ground for your sake. But we tie all that together. We come up with a list of seven. At least I've come up with a list of seven. Seven things that resulted from the fall, that of sorrow, of pain, of cursing, thorn, toil, sweat, and death. And these are done away with because of Jesus' work upon the cross. And here we find that God himself will wipe away every tear as there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. I like these no mores. This list of seven, we find that they are reversed because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we find that when God said concerning sorrow, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception when he talked to Eve, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53.3 that Jesus became a man of sorrow. As far as pain, again to Eve, God said in pain, you shall bring forth children. Isaiah 53.5 tells us, but he was wounded and bruised for our transgression, that Jesus took on pain because of us. As far as the curse is concerned, God said to Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. And in Galatians 3.13 it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hanging on the cross, becoming a curse for us. As far as toil is concerned, God said to Adam, In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And Jesus said in Matthew 11.28, Come, and I will give you rest. Concerning thorns, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you. 
And Jesus in John 19, 5 came out wearing a crown of thorns. Sweat, in the sweat of your face, God told Adam, you will toil the rest of your life. And Luke twenty two forty four reminds us that Jesus' sweat became as great drops of blood. And then death, God said, tell you return to the ground that physically they would die. John eleven twenty five. the Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus Christ has conquered all these things that came upon humanity because of the fall. And so in the new heaven and the new earth, there are some no mores that will be wonderful, but it's because of the work of Jesus. And then God, if you remember, the Lord Jesus Christ himself cried out in John 19, 30, to Telestai, I had a hard time saying that a couple of weeks ago, it is finished. Here we find God crying out, it is done. Verses 5 through 7. Then he who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. It's amazing to see in this new heaven and new earth, as well as the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ crying out, it is finished in John 19, 30. He not only made for us to have a relationship with God to be forgiven of our sin, but he set in motion all the things that have and will follow. He set in motion the last day events that are still to come upon this earth. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 10, and the Lord God said, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. All this God allowed his son to go through because he had a, a greater plan. Jesus on the cross set in motion the events of the last day, but they haven't all come to a close yet. But here we find in Revelation 21, the Lord God himself crying out, it is done. At this point, all the prophecies from the Old and New Testaments will have been fulfilled. The prophecies that pointed to the Lord's first coming already having been fulfilled now, but the remaining prophecies that point to the Lord's second coming that will be fulfilled. God declaring, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He who declares these things always keeps his word. As the Lord said in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void to me, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. And here we find again the thirsty. I love this. Not only does the Lord say it is done, he goes on to say in verse 6, I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. 
He cries out to the thirsty just as Jesus cried out on the great day of that feast, the Bible tells us in John 7, 37 and 38, that Jesus stood out and cried out and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers or torrents of living water. Moreover, God said to the overcomers, that they have become the children of God, that they will inherit all things. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.29 that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, that the Lord brings us together, that we might not only overcome, but inherit all things that he has planned for us. We go on in verse 8, it tells us, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable. We went through this a few weeks ago. Apparently, I can't say that word anymore. So I'm going to skip it. You got it. Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So after the great white throne judgment, all unbelievers, having been judged, cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire that was prepared for Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, those demonic beings. But all those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the second death. Not annihilation, but a place of suffering, eternal suffering. It's a horrific place. But Jesus came that we might be saved from this second death. In verses 9 through 21, we have the New Jerusalem. And we're going to speed up a little bit here, take larger sections of this scripture. We read, first of all, of the Holy Jerusalem, verses 9 through 11. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride and the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, like clear as crystal. So one of the angels, one of the seven angels that had one of the seven bold judgments of God, at this point he becomes a tour guide, for John. And he shows them of this new Jerusalem. Some have actually said that the new Jerusalem is the city of Jerusalem, but this cannot be. Jesus Christ did not die for a city. Jesus Christ died for people. He died for you and me. We comprise of this new city. The bride are believers who will occupy this city, which will include the Old Testament saints, like Abraham. And it tells us in Galatians 3, 6, also similar in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This simply meant that Abraham believed the word that the Lord had given to him and Abraham trusted in God. He looked forward to the promise of God. He looked forward to the coming Messiah. The believers of the church age, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven two, For I have betrothed you as one husband 
that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That we are part of this New Jerusalem, the body of Christ there in heaven. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the church age believers, but also the tribulation saints. And this is a little longer, but there is a, a distinct difference, as John explains in Revelation 7, verses 14 through 17. So a little longer reading here. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them, and they shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, lead them to the living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Similar promises, different classes of believers, Old Testament saints, the church-age believers, the uh, tribulation saints, but we all comprise to be part of this new Jerusalem. Now, having the glory of God, the light of the new Jerusalem is described as being most precious, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And for believers, we become these diamonds in God's eyes, we are truly diamonds in the rough. Like coal is compressed under pressure for a long period of time to form the diamonds that we know today, the Lord, through period of time, sometimes we may not like this part of it, we go through pressure, but in the pressure, God is conforming us into His image. John would say concerning what we shall one day be, 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Notice, he just said, we are children of God. He did not say, we will be children of God. So he already understood, we're in the position as children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. We are children of God. Right now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. Yet we do not know what we shall be. We will be changed. If it's through the rapture in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. But we know that we shall be like him. This city is a city with 12 gates and 12 foundation stones. Verses 12 through 14, it says, Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so the city's great and high wall, having three gates on the east, north, south, and west. That's the order given to us here. Each of these gates, they're named after one of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, we can read about this in Ezekiel 48. 
30 through 35. I'm going to skip just a few words in this text. But Ezekiel 48, 30 through 35, it tells us, These are the exit of the city. On the north side, the gates of the city shall be named after the twelve tribes. Three gates northward, one gate for Reuben, one for Judah, one for Levi. East side, three gates, one gate for Joseph, one for Benjamin, one for Dan. On the south side, three gates, one for Simeon, one for Ishishar, one for Zubalin. On the west side, one gate for Gad, one for Asher, one for Naphtali. And all the way around shall be 18,000 cubics. And the name of the city from that day forward shall be the Lord is there. And so once again, we have New Testament prophecy being given to us, but we find in the Old Testament, very similar saying, 12 gates, names of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. They give us the names and uh, where the names will be on the east, south, north, or west, but what tribe will be named on those sides. But the most significant feature of this city will be God and the Lamb because they are there. Verses 15 and 17, John is commanded to measure the city. He who talks with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, its walls. The city had laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. He measured out the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, height, all equal, so square, 144 cubics, according to the measure of the man, that is, of an angel. So the measurement of the city, 12,000 furlongs, it equal, equals 1,500 square miles. And the angel was using perhaps the measurement of a man, helping John to understand he kind of the measurement of the man that is of the angel. Either we measure the same way the angels do, not quite sure about that, or he dumbed it down for John to understand what he was looking at to help us understand as well. But then the building materials. You guys know that I was in construction for 20 years, so I get into building materials, but I've never use jasper or gold when building things, especially for foundations. Foundations normally are buried. You don't even see it. But it's important for the structure. Without a good foundation, uh, your structure will be shot very quickly. So the construction of its walls, verses 18 through 21, the wall was like jasper. The city was of pure gold, like clear glass. The wall of the city were adorned with all kind of precious stones. The first fountain was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, I hate reading these words. <laughs> so there's 12 fountains. You can read them through because I'm not going to embarrass myself by getting four of these wrong. And I practice, it doesn't matter. Because when I stand in front of you, my brain turns off for a moment. But I have problems with some of these, so I trip up. So I'm going to just let you do the reading there. Twelve gates, twelve pearls. Individual gate was of one pearl. 
That's pretty amazing. That'll make the Guinness Book of World's Records. The street of gold. Notice, singular, street. How do we say it more often than not? We sing about the streets of gold. He talks about one street. I'm wondering if there is one street that is so spectacular there in the city that it's unlike any of the other streets. So it's singular, the street of gold, of pure gold like transparent glass. We must remember that God is the city's maker. Therefore, we can't compare it to anything that is on this earth. Those things that we actually hold in high regard here upon this earth, everything that's listed in these verses, they're very costly, costly to acquire, costly to um, even get out of the earth itself and then to purchase once they've been refined and, and cleaned up and everything. They are of most high value here upon this earth. But in heaven, they're just building material. Let me show you my building material that we're using in heaven. And all those, these things will be beautiful to behold. Our eyes won't be attracted to the city itself, but to its maker, God. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 tells us, By faith Abraham believed when he was called out to go to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city of which foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham dwelt in tents because he was waiting for the city that John is describing for us here. But it's only believers in Jesus Christ who will one day walk on the streets of gold. In the glory of holy Jerusalem, we read in verses 22 and 23, of the light of the city and the temple, it says, I saw no temple, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So the temple here on earth for Israel, it was a place for Israel to gather and worship God. An altar was there that they could give sacrifices to God. And the temple, as well as our churches today, are places where people gather to worship God, understanding that God is not contained in any one place. Solomon, when he dedicated the great temple that he, had, he was involved in building, when he prayed his prayer of dedication concerning the temple proper, he knew that it could not contain God. He said in this prayer in 2 Chronicles 2.6, but who is able to build him a temple since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him? The purpose of the temple was a place for Israel to gather to worship God, to burn sacrifices. But Jesus came as a sacrifice for our sin. No longer do we need a temple. No longer is there a temple currently. Because there's no need for a sacrificial offering 
No need for a trespass offering because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has already paid the price of our sin. Moreover, God Himself and Jesus Christ Himself will dwell there in the city. No need for the temple because God and His Son, Jesus, is there. Also, there'll be no need for the illumination The light will come from God, Jesus Christ being the light. So Jesus and God become the main attraction. You know how it is. You go to a city, you go to Niagara, New York. You're either going for two reasons, maybe both. Lily and I went for one of the two. Go to see the falls. The other reason is a big gambling casino there and slums all around it. So you're not going for the slums. I'm pretty sure about that. You're either going to gamble or you're going to see the falls. Lily and I went to go see the falls a few years ago. First time I had seen them. And it was something that Lily had been at with her family as a child. And so I was getting to see a bit of it through her eyes. That was kind of a little exciting for me, a place that I'd never been. Go to Washington, you probably want to see the White House or the Capitol or the Lincoln Memorial. Go to New York, maybe the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty. But the Holy Jerusalem, it's God and the Lamb that will attract our attention. And they will be the illuminating force in the city. They will be the lights. As in the Old Testament, speaking of God in Isaiah 60 verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day or for brightness till the moon to give you light. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. The Lord will be that everlasting light. Of Jesus in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I, I pray that Jesus is that light, the light of your life. Of the city's citizens and the visitors that shall come, verses 24 through 27, it says the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall be not shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Holy Jerusalem, the new Holy Jerusalem, will be the central attraction on this new earth. As the citizens of the earth, the kings of the earth will come to visit, to bring their gifts to the city. But the city itself, as beautiful as those building materials might be, it will be God Almighty and the Lamb who will be the main attraction there, will be attracted to our Savior God. And in that city, there'll be no more nights, nothing that defiles, no abomination, no lie. And no sinner will be found there, only those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. We find in this new Jerusalem that there's going to be 
a lot of no's going on. The new heaven and the new earth, no sea, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no temple, no sun, no night, no moon, none that defile, none who causes abomination, none that lie. This is because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. John has been shown this beautiful city that God has promised that will one day come, replacing this current earth that we are on. The Bible teaches that one day the earth will be changed out like a cloak, just like this week I noticed one of my jackets has tears in it. Time to get rid of it. Time to change it out. As the psalmist wrote about that, the earth one day will be changed out. But God will bring a new heaven and a new earth. Where in that new heaven and new earth, the new holy Jerusalem, where God himself and the Lamb will dwell. But only those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life will be able to walk that street of gold. It is my prayer that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's go ahead and stand together. I haven't done this for a few weeks, so good to get back to it. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, we have a church motto that says, believe, receive, grow, and go. And so we're going to go through each of these and the scripture that's connected to it. You'll help us read and help me read. You'll do it right. I'll do it wrong, but we'll get it done. It first begins with believe. And the Bible tells us that for those who come to God must first believe that God is. And I believe in our nation today that there are so many who do not believe that there is a God. So salvation begins with that simple step. We first must believe that God is. And the Bible tells us we say together, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. So another side of just talking with people, witnessing to people, and sometimes you might talk to someone and say, yeah, I believe that there is a God. But the next step is receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. So in this world, there are those who do not even believe that there is a God. There's others that do believe that there is a God, but they have not yet received Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the second point, receive, we say together. Romans 5.17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 17. We have to receive that gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Once we believe that there is a God, receive Jesus as our Savior, we have to grow in our faith. And the Bible tells us, 2 Peter three eighteen. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3.18. Then we're commanded to go. As Jesus gave the, what we know as the Great Commission, taking just two verses from that Great Commission, we say together, 
Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Aren't you glad that Jesus promised, I'm with you? There are times, ha, the last couple of years, knowing that Jesus is there, having a biblical worldview. I see the craziness happening in our world today, and it's like, man, this fits. I've read about this in the Bible. It fits so well with the prophecies concerning the last days that it seems like things are lining up. Now, it is my prayer that God would send revival upon this earth. I don't know if he's going to send a revival upon the United States once again. It seems like here in the United States, we are having a great falling away and not a great coming back to Jesus. But it is my prayer that God would send revival to his church. And that's what the word revival actually speaks about. When I was a child and we had our annual at our church that I attended as a child, the annual spring and fall revival meetings. It was really all about getting people saved. But actually the word speaks about reviving the saved. And that is what the Lord desires for us in these last days, that our hearts would be revived. Because I tell you, the last days will be tough times. Times are already tough. And without Christ, I don't know how I can make it. I hope you have that same understanding as well. Lord Jesus, I can't do it without you, so help me through. For those who are listening on radio, perhaps through social media, if you have any questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. If you'd like to support our ministry, again, for those listening uh, through social media or through the radio ministry, uh, you can do so at cclv.org forward slash donate, cclv.org forward slash donate. That information for those on social media, that information is provided for you there. This coming Wednesday, we're looking at blessings and prophecies, Genesis 48 and 49, here at 7 p.m. at the church or through our media services that we have. So I look forward to being with you this coming Wednesday. As Philip comes to lead us in one last song, I will be down front if anybody has any prayer need. I would love to pray with you also. We do have two prayer benches at the front of the church. If you want to come and just kneel down and pray, because this is what I believe. I can pray for you. And someone this week texted me and said, man, ever since you prayed for me, it's been like heaven in my home. And I'm thinking that is because this individual did what God commanded him to do. If there are those who are sick among you, let them come to the elders It's not that I have any great gift that will turn your home into heaven. Please don't say John can make heaven at home. No, um, I believe it's because this person did what scripture asked of him to do. And all I did was become that conduit between the two. 
I don't think you need me. What I know is that you need Jesus. So the prayer benches are up front. If you'd like to kneel down and just pray with Jesus, come and do so. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be honored to do so. Let's worship.